Hello, uh, welcome to another episode of our podcast. And today we have uh, Feng Wai Hong, who is the chieftain and co-founder of StoreHub, an omni-channel operating system for over 12,000 retailers and restaurants across Southeast Asia. Uh, Wai Hong grew up in Malaysia, spent four years in Singapore as an ASEAN scholar, and lived 10 years in Melbourne. Uh, immediately after completing his uh, BA at the University of Melbourne, Wai Hong co-founded and was managing director for five years at Oshad, a multi-niche online retailer. Wai Hong was also named Australia's best young entrepreneur in 2011 by Startup Smart and amongst Melbourne's top 100 most influential people by The Age newspaper that same year. Uh, Wai Hong has since spent one and a half years living in Shanghai where he studied Mandarin and eventually returned to Malaysia in 2013 where he founded StoreHub. Uh, and with that, let's start the conversation. Well, uh, thanks for coming over Wai Hong. Uh, it's really good to see you again. Uh, I obviously know you personally for uh, many, many years. Um, and uh, for those who... Uh, so Wai Hong's uh, the founder of StoreHub and uh, for those who don't know him very well, um, one of the things I found most interesting is, and this is true, and this is coming from him, and it's like, you're actually one of the most um, thoughtful entrepreneurs that I know. Like, you're actually like really, really, um, like, there's no BS, like, you know what you're doing, uh, and everything, um, like, everything's planned out very well, you're very strategic, and the way you execute things is, like, super top-notch. And I think one of the reasons why maybe not everyone has actually heard of you is because StoreHub is in, like, in the B2B space, right? Rather than sure. the consumer space, right? Because if you're in the consumer space, I'm pretty sure like, you know, you'd be like super, super well-known <laughs> by now. <laughs> so I'm really like so, so excited that you're you know, willing to do this, have this conversation. But yeah, so for so the people who are listening um, who don't actually know StoreHub, maybe you can start there just very quickly. Like, what is StoreHub and, like, and what, what stage is that, uh, is that startup in right now? Cool. Um, so what we call StoreHub today is an operating system for successful omni-channel businesses. And essentially what that means is that we help retailers and restaurants to automate the growth of their sales uh, as well as accumulating their customers, right? Uh, so I think that's essentially what we do. We really help these, uh, you know, cafes, restaurant owners, these boutiques uh, to really run better businesses with a lot more technology mm. uh, and, and just really automating all the painful bits of, of running a small or even a larger business. Um, we started something like six and a bit years ago, almost seven years now. Mm. And uh, essentially, uh, it's been that long now. Right. Uh, we've grown from small Two of us in, in my apartment in Shanghai to a team of over 315 people across. That's, that's huge. Yeah, four cities, you know, Malay, uh, Mal KL, Manila, Bangkok, and Shanghai. Um, we serve over 13,000 businesses across the region mm. uh, today. Uh, and so, yeah, and it's, it's, been, it's been quite an amazing journey to kind of like grow uh, over this last six, seven all, years. All, all that <clears> in like six, seven years from nothing. Right? Yeah, well, it depends so on whose mean, perspective you see. You know, some of the invest uh, investors might be like, too, too slow, you know. Really? No. <laughs> I'm not sure, you know. Like, uh, uh, the fact that, um, I mean, starting a company is already so hard, right, right. in the first place. And um, so just, if, if someone has a business that survived for six, seven years, I'd already applaud them. 
right? But but if you have something that's grown regionally, that's like super amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely uh, look. I mean, I I don't I don't discount what we've done, you know, and I think what we've done has been paid for. Uh, in severely by by many people, like you know, we've sacrificed a lot. We've we've worked really hard to to get to to this point. But more importantly, I think we've worked hard to build a company that we're proud of. Um, and I think that's something that you know, I'm not sure if you do this in 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 you know, in your company, but uh, uh, what we do at Storehub is we define what is success to us, right? As a leadership team, especially, and you know, and of course, success would look like. You know, yeah, thirty thousand stores. It will look like mm-hmm. you know X number of people. It will look like employee happiness to some degree, um, uh, but we also look at it as well. We want to make sure that we continue to build a place that we are proud of. Uh, and how do we define these things? Um, you know, we could wake up tomorrow and realize, holy crap! You know, we are now a company of sure serving a hundred thousand businesses, but. Mm-hmm we don't want to turn up to work anymore. And I think that's something that we don't necessarily think about when we, when we chase hyper-growth especially mm. because we just do whatever it takes, right, to achieve our hyper-growth mm. goals. Um, mm. But we don't necessarily realize that sometimes we are going down a track that, we, that we're not necessarily uh, wanting to take the company down to mm. because of how pressured we are to pursue these goals. Right, right. Mm. So I'm, I'm really interested to kind of go way back even before Storehub to kind of really get to know who you are personally so I, mean, I know you as a friend yeah. but um, before you came over uh, you know we have a team that actually researched you oh, yeah. <laughs> properly <laughs> <laughs> uh, and <clears throat> found a lot of interesting stuff so sure. one of the things I think you, um, I've seen uh, this mentioned before is that uh, you say that you've actually failed five subjects while you at uh, university yeah that, right and that's really interesting how, how do you get well, well, number one, if I failed five subjects, I'd be really, really in trouble. Like, uh, yeah. and, uh, but, but how do you get from that um, like to building Storehub? Like, what, what, what's the story there? Like? Yeah, well, I mean, let me take you back a little bit earlier yeah. than, the, than university, just to give you a bit more context about right. who I am as a person and how failing five subjects became a thing. Um, so since I was a kid, I was really very much a technologist. I, I mean, uh, that word didn't really quite exist back then, but my mom was a programmer and my uncle was a programmer. Oh, wow. So I had computers in my house as early as I, as I can remember. You know, I think I started using computers when I was three years old. Of course, these days, two-year-olds use iPads, right? But back yeah. then, computers were not quite iPads. They were like clunky machines without a hard disk. Yeah. And you had to load your operating system with like five floppy disks. And I don't even know anyone knows what floppy disks these days are. Um, and and uh, so I started using computers from a very, very young age. Mm. Uh, I remember some of the funny stories where I told my mom I wanted to marry a computer when I grew up. Oh my God. My ambition, I don't know. A lot of people wanted to have different kinds of ambition. I was the only one I knew. That's still a possibility. Marry yeah. Uh, it's becoming more of a possibility <laughs> these days, actually. Um, and, and I remember t- telling my mom I wanted to be, my ambition when I grew up was I wanted to be a, the world's greatest hacker. Right? So that was kind of like weird kid syndrome mm. going on there. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so when I was in school, I, you know, my, my nickname because I had these massive thick glasses was a professor and they would call me all kinds of funny things. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I went, kind of went through that kind of childhood. Right. Uh, I went to school in Singapore uh, as an ASEAN scholar, but I was a very bad scholar. So this was when my first foray into failing subjects became mm. a thing was that even though I did really well in primary school, uh, after I went to Singapore, um, I didn't do well at all in school. So that was my first time in life kind of like really wrestling through not doing well. Right. 
uh, and uh, and I and the reason was because I spent too much time playing computer games, and I was just not interested in studying. Um, and uh, I remember one time that we were—I'm not sure if you ever played StarCraft, but back had, yeah. oh, very good, good, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. back then we we had StarCraft, right? And uh, mm-hmm. this was 1999, and and but the hostel was trying to charge us five sing dollars an hour mm-hmm. to use the computers. And of course, when we play, we're paying for like six hours, seven yeah. hours. Not, it's a lot of money back then, yeah. right? So I actually hacked the cash card system and I kind of like taught everyone how to do it. So we didn't have to pay anything. To, oh my to, God. <laughs> so I actually almost lost my scholarship wow. because of that. Because I became the scapegoat. Like even though everyone was doing it, right. they say, oh, Wai Hong taught us how to do it. And, and so I almost lost my, my scholarship and it was kind of freaky. Um, and, and of course, I was not doing well in school. Even though I was a scholar, I was bottoming out my class. Right. I was always, you know, in fact, I failed subjects multiple times in, in secondary school as well. Okay. And I was one of the worst performing ASEAN scholars for my batch in the O-levels. Uh, funny enough, they still gave me, offered me a scholarship to, to do junior college. How did that? <laughs> what? It's because I, I was also one of the few scholars who represented Singapore in a robotics competition in Japan. So I every see. time you do an international stint for Singapore, it's back then especially, it was mm. a big deal, right? Mm. Um, so because of that, they kind of like were willing to overlook some of my academic uh, kind of like feelings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, almost getting kicked out of school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then my mom was like, look, you know, I, I'd rather you go to Singapore. I uh, sorry, go to Australia and not stay in the Singapore system, even though it was going to, you know, I saved a lot of money. I saved a lot. Uh, my parents barely spent a single dollar on me uh, when I was in Singapore. It was a fully paid, paid up scholarship with, right. you know, like uh, pocket money and everything. So it was amazing. But uh, she said, look, I'm going to spend the money, you know, the tens of thousands of dollars and send you to, to Australia instead. Hmm. So she, she didn't feel like I was doing well in the system, so she sent me to Australia. Okay. Um, and that's how, how I guess, like, you know, uh, yeah, I had a fresh start, you know, but still end up failing a lot of subjects. So. <laughs> a fresh start, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, I, I was a very socially challenged kid, actually. Oh, okay. So, you know, my, my, especially my primary school years, I didn't really have that many friends. Uh, secondary school was even harder. It was some of my most difficult years because I was living in an environment where, as a scholar, you're expected to study well. But I was one of the few scholars that were bad students. So I lost friends because I did badly in school. Mm. Like, friends didn't, they do not remember my friends anymore because they realized that I was doing what, like, I didn't do well in school, right? Mm. And so that was the kind of environment that I kind of like navigated in, right. in Singapore. And, uh, and so I think when, when I went to Australia, like that fresh start, I actually became the, the president of the student committee, or student council in Trinity College, which is like completely the 180 degree turn mm. from this geeky gamer kid who failed subjects and was like no one wanted to be friends with like I was the kid who got picked last in basketball you know like yeah. and when you play captain's mode you're like oh, pick and I'm like hey pick me you know when you're the last one to get picked right uh, mm. oh, you take him no you take him kind of like situation right. um, and kind of becoming the president of the student committee and, and that completely changed everything right um, I didn't how, know how how did it happen how, how do you uh, go look, to become the president of the student honestly committee? I still don't know today I really don't remember like not not even I do I, I do remember what happened. Mm. I just don't remember how. Like um, okay, well, there was one. I'm not sure. I'll call it. It was a pivotal moment. I know. I I, be, I became a Christian when I was 16. Before mm. I just before I went to Australia, and I'm not sure if that affected me in terms of confidence or personality or whatever not. Mm. Um, but for some reason or another, like I, within the first three months of landing, I I, I became the president of the student community, and it was so bizarre. So so that kind of like sparked. Uh, an interesting phase for me where I'm like, realize, hey, actually, I actually can do stuff. You know, mm. I actually can 
be more than just that, you know, nerdy gamer kid. Right. Um, so, so that was kind of interesting. But uh, I, I spent a majority of university just kind of playing computer games. And, uh-huh. uh, and I failed one subject in the first year, another subject in the second year. And I failed three subjects in one semester in the fourth year. Um, because I was literally playing computer games. I was playing this game called Ragnarok for 18 hours a day for an entire month. And I started playing this game just bef- like one week before the exam period started. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and the best part of it is so that... So you've, you've made, you did zero <laughs> studying, I suppose. Well, the thing is, this, the best part of it is I, I, I'm an art student, right? Right. I didn't even have exams. All I needed to do was submit essays, right? Four essays. That's all I needed to do. Oh, and you and you you submit it beforehand, like oh, you should test. submit it by a, by a due date, right? So like right. one week into the exam, right? Or kind of two weeks into the exam period, like that's what due date is usually around then. But well, lo and behold, I I obviously did not do very much essay writing and did not submit a single essay that semester. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, I ended up. Uh, in fact, I would have failed four subjects instead of three. Uh, if not for this really kind lecturer, I wrote to all the lecturers. I say, hey, you know, I'm suffering from computer gaming addiction. Would you be able to be kind and lenient? Did you do that? I did. I wrote oh, to all the lecturers, oh, right? Wow. And the one lecturer who's, who have only attended one lecture the entire semester actually said, yeah, you know, why don't you submit your assignment next semester? <laughs> and he still gave me like a, a good grade as opposed to like a fail grade, you know? So I was really quite uh, amazed. But, uh, you know, I did, I did not do... So I, I played a lot of computer games uh, in university. Um, and then when I kind of like graduated, I graduated one semester late. Uh, and so, yeah, it was quite, kind of an interesting journey. It sounds like so there's so many things I can hear from your story, right? Like the first thing I'll say is, you know, when you were younger, clearly you were talented, but you applied your talents, I suppose, in the wrong way. Um, well, well, in the at the wrong places, like you know, using it to like hack the internet, for example. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, my, my 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 teachers will always say this one phrase that will stick with me for the rest of my life: "Why hung you smart but lazy?" Right? And I'm like. Yeah, it's probably a little bit true there. Smart, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but but I think the, the other part. It may. I'm not sure whether it's because you're lazy or just that as a personality. And this is also because I I know you for yep. a couple of years, and also based on your story, and also what I hear about entrepreneurship in general. Uh, I find that a lot of people who actually build successful businesses, they they consider them to be. You used the, the term socially challenged mm. earlier, but they tend to be very like disagreeable people like right. you know they're not they're not integrated well socially <laughs> all right and, and that's what makes them like really good founders and entrepreneurs because uh, especially in the technology business because yeah. you're actually trying to create something that i suppose never existed before right right and and, yeah. and 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 you're doing an environment where probably a lot of people think you're you're wrong right and so you kind of and that kind of um, attribute or personality is probably why you are such an effective entrepreneur today. Yeah, being a rebel, I think that's, that's super important, uh, being willing to, to vocalize. And I think kind of like getting used to not being liked, mm. getting used to not you know, saying, just agreeing with what people are saying, mm. um, getting used to failing, uh, I think, or, or doing things that you know, are on the edge and, and therefore bearing and the risk and, and also the failure, which is, you know, oftentimes we say, you know, like we're, we're doing risky things mm. and it'd be great when, when you succeed, but the reality is that doing risky things means the majority of the time you fail, right? Mm. So I think all of those things, you know, if you, if you, if you can, I can quite easily point to, to my growing up years. Right. You know, a lot of 
I think successful people uh, in their early years when they were you know top students and they're always doing well the majority of their early years were receiving kind of like hey well done you know good for you like you know, you're doing really well and and they don't necessarily hear the kind of things like oh I'm you know I'm disappointed with you oh you know uh, I oh you should have you know this is this is uh, this is a complete failure uh, and I think that kind of difference is, is is important to recognize because for entrepreneurs we don't always in fact we rarely get to hear hey well done oh yeah right I mean when was the last time you heard well done oh, like I mean yeah. we give, we have to give it to our guys yeah, right we have right. to give it hey you know well done yeah yeah but our investors are not going to be saying well done to us very yeah, regularly yeah. you know I mean yeah. it's like uh, it's not happening right yeah. so <laughs> So, so when, when people like sometimes they're like, why Hong, why do you keep patting yourself on the back all the time? <laughs> Someone has to. I think someone's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like for you, you know, you, you, uh, I, I know I'm happy to give you a praise, like you know, say well done, da da da. But for me, I, I do like all these things every single day and countless, thankless things. Mm. And so you kind of just got to figure out, okay, look, you know, if I'm gonna be sane and feel like we can still keep going, some someone's got to pat this back. <laughs> And, and yeah, and, and it's also like, um, and I think this is also true to myself, is that a lot of entrepreneurs have find that um, there is some kind of missing piece, I suppose, whether it's in our life or when we're growing up, and it, it becomes like a driving force for, or it creates a lot of energy, yeah. I suppose, for the entrepreneur because they are trying to like fill that gap somehow, right? And it's different for different people, I notice. You right. know? So like, uh, I mean, even me personally, yeah, yeah, I, I, I wasn't like the, popular kid you know and and there are a lot of things that i didn't feel i was doing very well and i was insecure about a lot of things and i think and that insecurity kind of drives the person but i don't i'm not i'm not aware of it a lot of the time right but when you dig deep it's like oh yeah i guess so so <laughs> <laughs> i mean i recently i recently was in a, a session where they talked about psychology and like how mm. to feel more secure and i was listening to it and i was thinking do I really want to feel more secure? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Like, you know, yeah, so it's kind of like that balance, right? If you're more secure, lose the drive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what happens if you're like, you're just happy, happy, you know? Right, it's the whole chip on the shoulder thing, right? The, yeah, sometimes yeah. the more content we are, the less willing we are to, to fix the discontents in the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that, um, that drive has to come from somewhere, right? Yeah. Something deep, right? So, yeah. And, and yeah, so that's really interesting. So, and also, it sounds a lot like the fact that you failed so much in school mm. uh, and yet you can succeed in running a business. Uh, I think for the most part, a lot of people feel that formal education doesn't quite necessarily produce like great entrepreneurs, right? right? And, and you hear that like, with like college dropouts and all these stories are quite regular. But maybe let's kind of flip it around a bit. Is there anything that you feel that you learned in school from formal education that you find that's quite useful to you now running a business? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I did an arts degree in media and communications uh, and a double major in history and philosophy of science. A bit of a mouthful. Um, but essentially what I did a lot of in uni was writing. Mm. And, uh, and essentially media and comms is like journalism effectively. And so... Um, just not just writing in general, but writing with comms in mind. So writing precisely, concisely. If we, instead of using three words, could you use one mm. uh, simple word that someone, more people could understand as opposed understand. to more, right. more sophisticated words. And so, so I think as a skill, writing takes a while to hone. Mm. And I think it's definitely one of the most powerful, most important skills I've had to 
hone uh, in helping me become an entrepreneur today, mm. especially in this world. I, I think right now in, in kind of technology driven where we are and like it's important to be able to communicate effectively and, and as we grow scaled distributed teams and companies, um, communications as in general is, is a really, really powerful skill. Mm. Um, so I think that that's definitely been one of the best things I, I, I remember getting from, from university. Um, I'm not sure if gaming counts, but you know, <laughs> I don't think that was part of your syllabus. But but what? Okay, but what did you learn from gaming since you brought that up? Well, to be fair, I actually had a, uh, a I did a, a module in in game studies uh, as oh. part of the uh, cinema studies division of the art faculty. Right. Uh, so that that gaming was kind of part of. So for for my tutorials preparation, I actually had to go to the library and play some computer games. So you studied gaming. Yeah, no. So I literally had to study like how these games were and then go into the tutorial and actually talk with my fellow classmates about, hey, what do you think of this game and the, 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 the history of gaming? and right. It was quite interesting. Um, but going back to your question around gaming itself, I think one of the biggest things I learned, and, and the difference here is that we weren't playing like Candy Crush type games, right? It wasn't uh, like these solo games on mobile that we were playing. You know, we were playing competitive games. So we were playing like uh, Dota, we were playing like Warcraft and we were playing games that uh, require a lot of teamwork so you know the team I had was five of us mm. uh, and we actually won tournaments in Melbourne okay. uh, and one of the things that we were most proud of was the fact that we had a female gamer with us back then so mm. it was like this Indonesian couple so the girlfriend and boyfriend was part of our team um, and this was at a time when, when Go Gaming was like really really quite amazing and like new, no one really knew competitive Go Gamers at the time this was a really long time ago uh, and so uh, we knew she was like the best in Australia because she was the only one that competed in tournaments yeah. and she was the only girl in, in the tournaments. Uh, and one of the most interesting things that we felt was an advantage was for us was the fact that she was female. Okay. And the reason being that for most of the other teams, when they play, they just heads down, looking at the monitor and just kind of going for it. But when we were playing, uh, she would sometimes take like a step back and kind of watch us play mm. and she'll be giving feedback continuously so be like hey why Hong go do this hey why Hong check out your mini map look, look, look on the left look on the right mm. um, and hey, hey Nigel look here look. and so she was oh hey Nigel you, you know you need to go with why Hong now go to, you know. and so, so there's this over communication that she's doing right 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 and so to a certain degree from a very young age I realised the power <laughs> of like communication within teams right. in that kind of context right, right, right. Uh, and, and we just boiled it down to the fact that women were more relational in terms of their leanings and they were, they were more uh, they, they found that the communication of that, that importance of communication was higher and so they, they over communicated and so there was all these interesting things that we learned from that mm. kind of environment that we go, huh you know mm. so, so to talk about diversity and how that yes. affects the workplace yes. you know uh, we learned it in, in a very non-diverse environment how diversity gives you a significant advantage because from a skills perspective we were inferior to the rest of the teams that were competing right. our skills were not very good yeah right I was probably the best <laughs> from a skills perspective but my teammates like there was two of them were like yeah dubious at best you know okay. uh, but we, we kind of like uh, made up for the lack through our amazing teamwork and our amazing communication. Right, right. So, so having a female player uh, basically improved your communication significantly. It was ridiculous. Like, so here's the, here, how, this, how ridiculous it looks, right? For most people, when they go for a scrim, like, you know, they go for practice matches with an opponent, right? Uh, usually it's an eight-hour session. They go in there, they play eight games, they get out, right? Yeah. We go in there, we play one game. We stop, 
we talk about the game for one hour. Mm. <laughs> we play another game. We start. We talk about the game for literally four hours of gaming and four hours of talking. Oh wow! And, and so when we talk about the idea of reflection, we're mm. watching these replays. We're seeing okay, what have we done right? What have we done wrong? Mm. Uh, what can we do to improve? What we're we not going to do again? Da, da, mm. da, da. That happened so much for us when we were gaming, mm. and that's how we got them really. How how we got better and eventually became a team. Even though, like I said, it was not a team of superstars. It was just, uh, but we won tournaments. Mm. Yeah, mm. and that's like, and and so in gaming, like, it sounds like you learn so many things. So so you learn mm-hmm. about the importance of diversity, uh, or or maybe if I take a step further, how to actually appreciate the strengths of different people and kind of put it together to form a team, right? Yeah. And, and even like, as you said, yeah, you won tournaments, even though as players, you were not necessarily the best. Yeah. So the way you approach the game was probably different from how other people approach it in more conventional sense, right? Mm. So that like your strength was like communication and you have someone that, and you do a lot of reflection post-gaming and all that. Um, pretty cool. And, and I suppose that's also where you learn a lot of strategic thinking, I imagine, because it's a... Uh, yeah, I mean, strategic thinking is such a big word that mm. people love, don't necessarily understand. Mm. Uh, I, I think strategy in game is simply, game. Or, or when we talk about strategy in games, it's simply understanding the battlefield. Um, so strategy starts the moment people choose their heroes, right? The moment they know, we know what capabilities our opponents have, mm. we can already strategize because we know uh, if... At certain points throughout the game, the early phase, the mid phase, the late phase, different teams will have different advantages depending on the composition of the heroes. Mm. Uh, so it's quite interesting that, that you brought up the idea of strategy because we don't necessarily think of it this way when you talk about business. Mm. We don't necessarily think of an early phase, mid phase, late phase. You don't think necessarily about the players. I mean, it's quite different. But uh, when we do do our strategy thinking in our own in store hub, mm. we actually apply a lot of game theory, or at least the, the way we think about strategy in games mm. pretty much to the business itself so we talk about the early phase we talk about the mid phase talk about the late phase talk about the board who's on the board what heroes effectively right, are on the board uh, and, and, and that's kind of like uh, a lot of that was pretty similar I would say yeah right right okay so um, jumping back to Storehub a bit uh, you call yourself an accidental entrepreneur I see that on your bio <laughs> so um, that would probably mean that you started Storehub by accident Oh, oh, oh no! So you had a startup before Storehub, right? So, like, when you so what do you mean when you say you're an accidental entrepreneur? So a lot of us, you know, um, a lot of entrepreneurs, I would say, these days, when they when they start their businesses, they always say, you know, I have this dream. I want to build something amazing. I want something big. Mm. I want to change the world. Mm. Um, that wasn't the case for me. So when I was in university, I thought. When I graduated, well, well, when I finally graduated, <laughs> no one would hire me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I started kind of listing out all my uncles. When you know, um, <laughs> no, well, I mean, I I thought I'd work in a like a marketing company, mm. or sorry, an IT company doing like a marketing gig, because mm. right? I was studying media and comms, right? Mm. And, and, and I love technology, so like you know, I thought maybe I'll end up in one of those places. Um, but instead, you know, I, my uncle who was running a, like a small little gift shop out in the suburbs of Eastern Melbourne, uh, he was like, Hey dude, why don't you just come and help me put a few things up on eBay? I'm like, okay, why not? Right. So I started writing descriptions. Again, this is where the writing <laughs> comes in handy. And I started putting things up, um, and, and something sold. Hmm. And so we put more things up and more things got sold. And eventually like this, 
things got so became like tens of thousands of dollars of things. And we're like, holy crap, this is this is interesting. Like, what's going on? And my uncle's like, hey, you know, why don't you keep doing this? So we did that. And I think for a good six months, like maybe we, we sold like 200 grand worth of stuff on, on eBay. Uh, and this is phenomenal, right? For for like just putting stuff up. And and they didn't have any success with this before. Mm. And the only things that I did different was I wrote much better descriptions. I took better photos. Mm. Uh, and I fit around with the eBay category settings, make sure right. I'm optimizing for positioning and everything like that. Um, and, and it just got better. And so I think... Um, you know, like six months into the into that work, mm. my uncle was like, hey, I know you're kind of looking for jobs right now, but why don't you don't do that and just run this business? Now, that being said, he was only offering to pay me $1,000 a month. Oh, okay. So that was not exactly the most attractive of, uh, like, uh-huh. offer. Right. <laughs> but he was willing to give me, I think, like 40% of the company. Okay. So I'm like, okay, why not, right? And uh, in fact, my mom was very pivotal. She was the one that actually said, I think you should do the business. Mm. And which is kind of weird, right? You think moms like they, mm. you know they wanted kids to go work for some prestigious companies? Mm. Or, no, she was like, hey, well, I think I think this is good. You know, you write well, you communicate, you you're good with technology. This seems like a good fit, right? Mm. E-commerce, perfect mm. for you. Mm. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty progressive, mom. But sure, thanks for the support. As long as you support me when I'm hungry, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she did. She beat by 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 a car for me that I didn't have to pay for, like a Honda Jazz oh, 1.3 really, yeah. liter. Yeah, it was just so much trust considering you, you know, how how you went through your education. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she loves you a lot. Clearly, yeah, she does. She does. Mom's good. Um, and, and kind of like. Uh, that eventually became Ozhart, right? The first business. And we, we did, in the end, end up doing about 400 grand of revenue in the first year. Nice. Uh, but the second year was when it became interesting because we went from 400 grand of revenue to $1.8 million wow. in the second year. So uh, figuring out scale and, and hiring our first people and, and teaching them. And then I literally had to study every single thing. I, I studied how to do accounting for business. I studied how to do you know, uh, do sales, do customer service, do packing in a warehouse. Basically, the way we, we operated that business was that because we were so poor, like we didn't have any money to hire anyone, mm. we just hired fresh grads. And what I did was I learned every single part of the business and then I trained each of these fresh grads like in accounting, in mm. packing in a warehouse, in, wow. in customer service, in sales. Basically, that was, that was the business. Training people, learning to do it yourself and then training and people training. with what you've learned. Um, as a recruiter, you're like balking at the idea, like, oh my god, that's like right. that's a that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> well, well, I I do like um, when we hire someone young and do train them, but <laughs> but typically the person that trains them has some experience, so right, right, right. Difference. As yeah, opposed yeah, to yeah. the entrepreneur themselves, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we just didn't have the expertise, right? Like, right. so who's going to train? Yeah, right. Yeah. Just, you got to figure it out, and then you train them, and and hopefully they get better at it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah but yeah, yeah, that was essentially how it started, and. Um, and that's why I guess I always call, it, call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I never harbored dreams of... In fact, my, I didn't really have that big of a passion for retail or telescopes at the time. It just grew on me, mm. right? And, um, and I think similarly for Storehub, we, you know, I, I didn't... I was thinking of all kinds of other ideas and whatnot, mm. but I stumbled upon this one because uh, how I felt very frustrated at, at a system that my friend who was running a laundry retail store had just implemented. And I was like, dude, this is horrible. And I was just really angry, you know. To, you know and, and I guess I'm a bit of that kind of person. I get discontent mm. quite easily. I was like, oh, you know, things don't work as they should. Mm. Uh, and that's when I you know, thought I should do something about it. So not, again, not the whole, oh man, I wish 
I could run a, you know, a successful business and then go figure out what to build from there. It was really, both businesses were born out of a frustration. Well, Storehub was born out of a frustration and kind of like, Ozha was born out of a, oh, I'll just help my uncle out. Right. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. And, and like, it's so interesting how like that one moment where, um, like how Storehub started, right? Like you accidentally <laughs> found out that, you know, POS systems like really yeah. need a big upgrade and and just that one moment kind of I suppose I'm not sure if I'm using the right word but it took six years of your life after that like solving that problem <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah not uh, even not even close to really solving the problem yeah. so yeah so yeah but just that just just like that right and and it's uh, and it's taken a significant part of like your time your life and and you dedicated so much to it um, and. It goes to show a lot of times, a lot of, you know, some things can't be planned, right? Mm. Um, but what I, I am very interested in, and so I'm going to shift a little bit to uh, helping the people who are listening to us kind of understand uh, this whole startup thing. Because some of them might be toying the idea, I want to start a startup one day, or I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I know you consider yourself an accidental entrepreneur, but if, right, if you're not doing anything right now, Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Assuming you're not playing the some latest computer game and you really have nothing to do, and someone came up to you and said, "Wai Hong, you know, I think uh, you've got some potential there to start a business. I'm going to give you like a million ringgit. You know, I I'm just going to invest because it's you, right? I don't care what business you run. I know you're going to make it an amazing one. What what would be your thought process of what kind of business to start with that million ringgit?" I, I was going to say I was going to return a million ringgit first. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Let, let's assume that like, you don't have money. Like, you want to well, I mean, this. the thing is this, right? Like, it, it's dangerous to, to go and do something mm. starting with the amount of money you have. Mm. Um, I, I think we always start with why. Right. Not with what and how. And, and putting money on the table and saying, let's go figure it out. Mm. Is, I feel like it's the wrong way to go about doing things. And, and mm. I, I, I'm, I'm a very much a why person. I'm, I cannot function without my whys. Right. Like, if I don't see meaning in an endeavor, dude, you know, we could make a lot more money doing other things. Yeah. Right? We could, we could be, uh, you know, investment bankers and make 10 times, 20 times, 50 times, 100 times more money than we do as entrepreneurs. But the reality is that I think the thought process for me is that this idea of a, what we call holy discontent, something that you're so frustrated by mm. and you just got to do something about it, mm. right? Mm. Um, and the reality is that if that frustration or if that fire does not, is, is not there, mm. um, then going and trying to figure out what to do about some random problem in the world, that's not going to cut it for me. Right. Um, so I think if... Yeah, yeah, I would say, okay, no, it's good to have your money. Can I, like, you know, give me a, give me a, when I need it, I'll come to look for you kind of, like, note. Uh, but honestly, I think um, uh, if I were to go through that process, I'd be like, okay, just hypothetically, I mean, I could tell you that, you know, you could research, you could do stuff, but I actually don't think that you need to. Mm. I actually feel like on a day-to-day basis, there are problems we see around the world already. Mm. How aware or how, uh, yeah, pretty much how aware we are of these problems, well, that's mm. a separate matter. Mm. And it's almost like, for example, when you go to try to buy a car, mm. 
the weeks following that decision, I'm going to go buy a car. You start mm. seeing cars everywhere, right? Yep, that's right, yes. You say, I want to buy a Hyundai. And then suddenly everywhere you see Hyundais. Mm. Mm. Oh, I'm looking for, oh, this Camry looks good. And then suddenly you see Camrys everywhere. Mm. So really, it is our awareness of the world are oftentimes influenced by the decisions that we, that we make, mm. the mindset, the perspective, the attitudes that we're adopting at that particular point of time. Mm. And so very similarly, I feel like, um, for me, the biggest thing that helped me kind of naturally move towards ideas is because I just felt frustrated about so many things in life. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll go anywhere <laughs> and I'll see problems. <laughs> right, so, so you notice problems. All the time. It's, yeah. In fact, my, 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 my friends and my colleagues are somewhat frustrated sometimes by this. They're like, why Hong, stop optimizing? <laughs> Just stop optimizing, right? Like, stop overthinking. Stop overanalyzing. And I'm like, but dude, you know, if, if these three Q lines and like it's 10 in one, it's 9 in one, it's 8 in one, and then there's a male here and there's a lady here and there's a male and that one looks more hardworking than that one and that one... <laughs> um, if we just moved, you know, we could save ourselves a whole two and a half minutes. Mm. Uh, that's natural for me. Right. Like, everywhere I go, it just happens. And so I think the, the reality is that uh, whatever problems that we are noticing in the world, if we talk about, you know, two fellow entrepreneurs out there, I, I suggest we start fixing those. Mm. At least those within our... Uh, perceived sphere of influence la. Right. Right? I mean if it's immigration counters right. I'm not sure if I, I really want to go climb the ranks in immigration to go fix that problem right. but um, <laughs> or you know or, or yeah or build, a, build technology to solve that perhaps might be more viable but um, the reality is that I think just observing and, f- and finding that connection and I think more importantly feeding that connection mm. so a lot of us see problems in the world right but sometimes when we see a problem, we feel frustrated about it, we run away from them. Right. Um, so for example, um, you know, if, if you saw the magazine of a hungry child in Africa, mm. right? And you're like, oh, you know, I feel something here. Mm. There are two options here. One, you could feed that frustration by finding more magazines, <laughs> maybe making a trip down to Africa itself. Mm. Or two, you just don't read any magazines anymore. Mm. As entrepreneurs or people trying to connect with or figure out our next thing, mm. my advice would be feed those frustrations. Right. Right? You feel something you're frustrated by, get more frustrated. How? Do more of it. Like, do whatever it, that, that made you frustrated in the first place. Mm. Do more of that, right? And I think once it gets to a point where it's like, I can't stand this anymore. Mm. i got to do something about it. Then you know that's the thing that you start. Yeah. Right. Right, right. And, and so that you kind of have to like look at what's mm. problems that are around you, right? Like you, start with those. Right, start with those, right. And then feed those problems. And feed those problems. Yeah. And, and then see whether like you emotionally kind of connect to one of those and say, I want to solve this one. Yeah, I, I mean, you use the word emotional, but I, I do recognize that what we call emotions are actually just a simple expression or something that happens much deeper. Mm. Um, you know, our, our subconscious mind processes way more information than our conscious minds can. Mm. Uh, and though, although we do find expression of our subconscious minds oftentimes through emotions, mm. uh, a lot more data is processed at a subconscious level than we oftentimes would like to admit. Mm. And I think that data is what I consider as the substance 
of the meaning behind why these things can find that connection to us, mm. why we feel so connected to these things. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. And say if you, mm-hmm. if someone does kind of figure out their why, right? And then let's say, okay, that's the problem I'm going to solve. And, um, and the, I think a, a, the, the challenge a lot of people face right now is they don't know how to start Right, like so, uh, they don't know what 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 does it mean to start. Like yeah. so, like you mentioned, like a million ringgit might not actually be the answer. Cause the money is like, what do you what do you even do with a million ringgit? Yeah, you know. So, like, what would be your um, thought as to how someone would start once they've identified a problem they want want to try and fix? Yeah. So let's build on this idea of the feeding, right? Mm. So I see a magazine, I feed it. So I'm reading more magazines. Mm. And then I'm making a trip down to Africa. Then I'm talking to all the people who are doing work in this area already. Then I'm figuring out a solution and then I'm testing the solution. It's essentially more feeding, right? But the whole idea here is that uh, you want to feed it to the point where it gets you super frustrated, super motivated to move the needle. Mm. And then you want to figure out whether any of your ideas to move the needle are viable, right? Yeah, you could be frustrated by it, but you could be the wrong person to do the job as mm. well, right? Mm. And, and the reality is that, you know, we're not going to be very good at everything in the world. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it could be fr- I could be very frustrated about bad food, but if I'm not a good chef, um, it might be a bit hard. Yeah. Sure, I could hire good chefs um, to do the job. Mm. Um, but the reality is that I think you know we're not always well suited to to do everything. Yeah. Um, so I think in that in that case, it's really important for us to then okay take that frustration and then translate it into what are the ideas, the opportunities for me to engage with this, and is this problem even real in the first place? Is this big enough? Uh, I think you must ask the big important question here, right? Are you solving a problem? Uh, what kind of no, not really? Are you solving a problem, but? <clears throat> what kind of business is this? Mm. Or is business even the right vehicle to solve this problem? So the, the vehicle question is probably a very important one. Uh, and I think this is, the probably, this is, is probably the most uh, common problem that I see that people get wrong, right? So for example, uh, if you wanted to solve global hunger, is it a business that you should start? Is it a charity that you should start? Mm. Is it a, you know, um, know, these days the word social enterprise is very Mm. popular. Mm. Uh, What is the vehicle, the right vehicle? Should you go work at World Vision, Mm. right? So what is the right vehicle to solve this problem? Um, If you are starting a business, uh, are you going to bootstrap this, grow this organically over time? Mm. Is it going to be a 20, 30, 40 years endeavor passed on to over generations? Or is this going to be a accelerated VC-backed, business that would need to IPO in 7, 10 years' time. Mm. What exactly is the vehicle that we are choosing mm. to solve the problems that we feel frustrated by? Mm. And then we need to understand these vehicles, right? If you're going to drive a Formula One car, mm. you freaking hell better know how, how to actually handle the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't, you're going to spin out at every single turn. In fact, that was exactly what happened to, to me and my bunch of friends when we were first entered like these 120cc go-karts that could go 110 kilometers an hour. Uh-huh. At the first turning, 
all my friends spun out. Like, literally. It's crazy fast. It's crazy. It's the average go-kart, right? And the yeah. indoor one goes yeah. like 50, 60. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? yeah. So these carts are roaring carts, right? Yeah. And they will groom. And so everyone's like, especially all the guys, right? They love it. Yeah. They, they roar at the first, <coughs> the first straight. Yeah. And then the first third, they all realized they were going too fast. <laughs> they slammed the brakes and they all spun out. Yeah. And I just kind of like took it really slow and just drive around them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like knew the, to- the tortoise and the hare story. Oh, you, I, I knew this was going to happen, right? Because I actually spun out my first go kart a while back and I right. knew it was because of this, right? Yeah. Um, and so, very similarly, when we're talking about choosing the right vehicle for a business and understanding, hey, sometimes a go kart is the wrong vehicle to go up the jungle, right? Mm. Or to go through you know, the, the mountains. That's probably the wrong vehicle. Uh, you need a four-wheel drive. Mm. And, you know, and, and at the same time, four-wheel drives are not very good at racing at Sepang, right? So I yeah. think the reality is that choosing the right vehicle and understanding vehicles is very important for us. Mm. Um, so when people say, I got an investor willing to put a million bucks, well, is the investor going to destroy the, the business or not? Because if putting a million bucks assumes that the model and the vehicle that we're going to uh, you know, use here would be a investor back, potentially VC back business. Yeah, but that might be the wrong vehicle to solve the problems that we might want to solve. Mm, mm. Right. So I think just bearing in mind and very having a very clear understanding of what vehicles are needed to solve the problems that I'm, mm. I'm feeling passionate about. That's mm. probably very very important. Mm. So for example, Ozhart, my first e-commerce business, we bootstrapped the, the thing all the way from zero yeah. to to five million dollars of revenue over five years. Yeah. Now, $5 million of revenue might not sound like a lot to people, but it was literally just $20,000 of stock that yeah. got turned into that kind of business, right? No other extra in, uh, like, uh, injection of capital. Mm. Um, but Storhub's not. Storhub's a company that's raised uh, 16 million USD, mm. uh, 15 million, 16 million USD today. Um, it's accelerated its growth. It's double headcount. It's, it's growing very, very fast. And the reason it, it needs to grow fast is because that's the, re- that's the reality of the problem yeah. they were solving. Yeah. If we don't have ex- uh, expensive world-class product teams, mm. we're not going to build a product or a solution that's going to be useful for our customers. Mm. Whereas with e-commerce, even when we're small, we can scale greatness at, with small. We can scale amazing customer service with small. We don't need big to do amazing. Mm. But with our business, Storehub today... Um, you need big to do amazing. Yeah. So it's kind of a very different model and different business vehicle. Um, so, and I think for, for young, like aspiring entrepreneurs, it's very, very important to identify, okay, what is the right vehicle? Right, right, right. And, and um, so uh, there's so much like advice going around, right? Like there are a lot of articles written on entrepreneurship and, you know, one of the things that I'm very curious as an insider Insider in the sense, well, you you are actually a founder. It's a successful startup. It's growing regionally. What common advice do you normally see that you kind of don't agree with that you think people oh should stop God. listening to? Uh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> it's a broad question, right? But maybe pick one or two that you know jumps to mind. Oh dear. Um, what advice? Follow your passion. Mm. Uh, dude, that's like the worst. Um, so, so the way I see it is that, as, you know, so the advice is that as long as you're passionate about it, you know, it's the right thing, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> of course, that's not true, right? Uh, passion is good at starting things. Yeah. You know, relationships, very classic, right? Passion always gets things started. That's right. 
find me a couple that tells you that passion keeps things going like for the rest of their lives. Mm. No, it does not. Yeah. Passion alone does not, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think in, in the way, the funny thing is that in, I guess in business, the, the, the alternate advice would not be hard work. It, the alternate advice would be success keeps things going. So learning to get to early wins uh, and celebrating wins, I think that's pretty important. Mm. Uh, I guess in the same way, you know, like, you know, relationships, celebrate your anniversary, celebrate the things you've done together and mm. accomplished and, you know, uh, and all that. Mm. It's all, all very important. Mm. Um, growing, I think, is, is very important. Uh, okay, so here's the biggest one that I, I'm really f- not sure if he's frustrated by or, um, or not. Um, but it's the idea of fundraising as being very um, celebrated. Is it? Is that yeah, what you're looking for? Yeah, it's right? like, hey, yeah, we raise money, right? Mm. And, and kind of like, oh, yeah, well done. And we're all giving ourselves high fives mm. and pets on the backs. Mm. Um, and uh, and, and I, I guess the, the reality is that, uh, actually, I don't know. I don't think that's why I was really alluding. I was kind of more alluding to the fact that. Uh, fundraising is either you can do it or you can't do it kind of thing. Right, yeah. But I, I do see it as a skill that can you can actually learn to can do learn. Right. and grow into. Um, but we don't think of it that way. Mm. In the same way how we don't think of dating as a skill that we can mm. learn or grow into. All we, the advice that we give to people is, hey man, be yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, so be yourself is bad advice. Horrible advice. <laughs> um, it's It's... It's horrible because, it, dude. I mean, you go on a date and you start telling them about your sob stories about how your mom mistreated you as a kid and da da da. I mean, you don't have to put on a show, but you do put your best foot forward, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and putting your best foot forward is not as easy as just simply putting your best foot forward. It's a skill. Yeah. Creating a great presentation is a skill. Mm. Delivering that presentation is a skill. Yeah. Answering questions in a meaningfully good way is a skill. Yeah. So, um, all these things are, are skills. And, and the reality is that uh, when we do run businesses, we, the most important thing we have is to have like a growth mindset. Mm. In fact, one of the early advice I gave when I was a young entrepreneur was I said, have an empty cup mm. mindset or mentality. Mm. And I was comparing myself to all the other entrepreneurs in my time. I was 21 when I started my Ozhat, right? Yeah. Everyone else was in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s. All my peers, my, my fellow entrepreneurs were around the age. And I said, one of the biggest things I noticed, the differences between me and, say, one of my fellow entrepreneurs who were in their 30s, uh, well, it's that he's got the 15 years of working experience. Mm. Good, right? Which is great. Most people say that's a good thing. Mm. But the big difference I, I realized was that he was a little bit less willing and less open to learning than I was. Right. It's like that 15 years of experience just gave him this box of what he thought he knew about the world. Mm. But the reality is that when we run businesses, when we're entrepreneurs, these boxes, they're not very good and not very helpful because mm. of the kinds of vehicles that we're, we're driving, right? Mm-hmm. It's like saying, I got a map of Melbourne, but we're driving this Formula One car or like the... Eastern like track all the way to you know Phillip Island like just far far away from town uh-huh. that's uncharted uh-huh. yeah. so this, the fact that I have a map of Melbourne is not going to help me kind of like yeah, right. navigate yeah. that place yeah. uh, what's going to help me is uh, being able to adapt to my surroundings and learn and figure out so this empty cup idea was that if I'm a full cup if I've got this full cup I can't feel it anymore mm. 
when I'm empty cup, anyone can teach me something. Anyone can be a, a point of learning and a learning experience. Um, so yeah, I think I think this growth and learning mindset that's super underrated. And, mm. and anyone that says you know be yourself, share all that, and 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 then the entrepreneurs that come back and say yeah lah, I pitched you know I pitched the, the the investor and they didn't like this idea, stupid investor, mm. dude. <laughs> It's like the guy going out with a girl and saying, this yeah. girl is like, she didn't like me. It's like... And yeah, something wrong with the girl, right? You're right. And yeah, you ask yeah. her, so what do you talk about? Well, I told her about my life. Yeah. <laughs> How about her? What do you know about her? She's pretty. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's quite something we see quite often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, um, it, it, what, what I find... Um, interesting and, and you mentioned just now about you started by talking about passion a bit and I think that one of the biggest issues for me personally is that uh, I find most of the time follow your passion by itself means so many things to different people and because people understand the word passion very differently and that that comes um, and that I think actually results in it being bad advice right right because right. I, I always find that and I've said this multiple times before uh you know, people think of passion as like just like this ha ha happy all the time, you know. And and as soon as I it doesn't feel like it's ha ha happy, then I'm not passionate anymore. But but you if you if you think about around the world, right, people that you attach that word passion to, most of the time they they go through a big struggle, you know, in order to achieve whatever they did achieve. Hmm. And um and, and and passion actually in a way kind of means the complete opposite thing. Like right. which is like the struggle, the you know, like doing something that's meaningful, and you're you're not kind of like happy all the time. Yeah. Well, which why I I chose to use the word earlier, holy discontent. Yeah. Something yeah. that frustrates you. Yeah. But there's this certain kind of like substance to it. Yes, yes, yeah. and and you mentioned about getting some early wins, you know, mm. and and it's a bit it's. It, it sounds quite close to like the concept of gamification uh, like, right so like the, that's how games are designed right level 1 is really easy yep. level 2 gets a bit harder yep. level, and then as you gain confidence you kind of get hooked yep. right and by the time you get to level 10 and it's hard but you stick to it because uh. you've created that momentum absolutely absolutely right? yeah uh, it's, it's you know like they talk about how entrepreneurs the best entrepreneurs have grit right yeah and I, I would say that I, I would argue the best game designers design grit into the game. They design grit into the game. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, can you imagine playing Candy Crush and then the first level is like a level 100 equivalent? Yeah, yeah. You're just going to give up. Yeah, it's going to give up. Yeah, yeah. Right? But you get to level 1. You're like, yeah, I can do this. Level 2, level 3, level 4. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's designing grit into games mm. or designing grit into organizations. Man, that's mm. something I'm actually quite ex- excited and passionate about. Mm. When I use the word passion, I mean excited yeah, <laughs> about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's something that we're actually looking at right now. Hmm, yeah. Okay, so um, this is a question that uh, you know I'm like really interested in as mm. well, um, and uh, it's about scaling in Southeast Asia, like, and, oh. uh, and, uh, <laughs> like, and Storehub is like you're in four cities as you mentioned. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the main things that I've always mm. want, well, people talk about a lot is like you know Malaysia is a good place to start the business, but at the same time the market isn't necessarily very big. So every entrepreneur will get to a point mm. where they have to make this decision. Do I go out of Malaysia or do I just stay in Malaysia a little bit longer and try to dominate this space? Now, mm. it's a tough call. Like, for example, in what, we are mainly in Malaysia and we're going to try like the Philippines really soon. Um, but the reason why, you know, we didn't like just jump in is because we know how challenging it can be. So 
tell us a bit about yeah, what kind of challenges do you face basically when you're trying to scale in Southeast Asia and how, how have you tried to overcome that so far? Honestly, we jumped first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and then figure out how to tackle it later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I guess some of the challenges that we've noticed um, were... Uh, very much centered around just the massive differences in culture and, and behaviors. Mm. Um, in 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 the in the Philippines, for example, everyone's really good at talking. Like they're really good at communicating. They're really good at sharing their stories. But and that makes it really hard for an interviewer to figure out to can, how like you know what does their work look like? You know right. what is their behaviors at work going to be? Right. Um, because and so so make, being able to make that distinction, right? Like, mm. are we able to? assess and interview without asking questions. Mm. What can we do to figure out different people in, in this context here? Mm. In, in Thailand, you would see quite often people would rock up to work and then within a week, they're gone. They're like, am I eight? They're like, what? what? What happened here? Right? And apparently, it's cultural too. Like, people just turn up to work. They want to see what's going on, what's, what's his workplace like, and then they just leave. Oh, really? And they just disappear. Oh, that happens quite often. It happens often. Yeah, it's crazy. So, oh, wow. so you have... Um, different challenges to deal with uh, that right. are very much behavioral, very much cultural, um, very much to do with the... I mean, I, one thing that's for sure is that Thailand does not have... Uh, what do you call it? it does not have enough laborers, so there's plenty of jobs for people to do. Okay. So if I don't work at this company, there's another company that will take me. That kind of mindset, right? Mm. Um, <clears throat> so I think, I think that's kind of like some of the challenges that we've seen. Um, the other challenges is that the big challenge, actually, is scaling leadership is difficult. Okay. What do you mean by scaling leadership? So, it's easy to hire people. It's hard to ensure um, that the ideas, the behaviors, the mindset is transferred thoroughly into the leaders of like a new country, right? Like, so, in the Philippines or in Thailand, like how do you ensure that these guys actually carry your DNA? Mm, yeah. They've not worked with you in Malaysia for yeah, like yeah. years or anything, right? Yeah. So, so oftentimes, a lot of startups actually send people there. Mm. They plant people in these kind of companies I see. and you know, that's what they do. Uh, we haven't chosen to go down that path. Right. So how do we do that? Literally, we fly people down every month. <laughs> so, so you fly them to Malaysia? No, we, well, we fly them to oh, Malaysia. Oh, 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 okay. But, we, but not, not that often, like maybe once every six months or so. I see. The different leaders. But we fly ourselves, like our leaders fly to these countries every single month. Okay. Like, um, at least there's someone in these countries, they'll see someone every, every month. So I think, I think there is that, but um, the reality is that scaling leadership in that sense is that, you know, it's hard to find um, just, just people to carry that, that company DNA, uh, we oftentimes tend to hire younger people mm. um, as the company grows. How do you navigate that transition? Uh, there's a lot of challenges here, actually, with, with making sure that, that as you go to a new country, that decision-making and, and, and the right kind of leaders are in place. Right. That's definitely one of the most difficult things. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, earlier, you mentioned that um, the team says you overthink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you overanalyze. And I'm very curious about that, like um, more from a technique point of view. Right. Uh, so I'm going to ask this actual question. Uh, is there uh, some kind of framework or model, I'm not sure it's the right word, model of thinking that you use to try to solve problems? Like, do, do, how, how do you organize your thinking? And, you know? I, I can't quote you any book I've read, mm. but I can 
make the connection between the way I think and engage problems today mm. to <laughs> literally Dota. <laughs> Dota? Okay. <laughs> so, so what I was known for when I was in the team right. was I was what they call a carry or a mid player, right? And mid, the, the positions and the role for a carry and mid is effectively uh, like the anchor for your team essentially, right? Because you play a very... P- very significant role um, in 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 carrying the team literally right. through to a victory. Right. Uh, you are the, the, the basically the, the team supports the carry yeah. in the mid, uh, so that they can eventually kind of like be strong, uh, and when they are strong, they can carry the team to a victory. So that's kind of the idea of a, of a carry or mid role, okay. um, and the mid role in particular is particularly challenging because it's a one on one battle and and it's you know between you and and other other mid mid role player right. And the extent of, the, in order to win that battle, every single detail matters. If you think about it, right? If it's a one-on-one battle versus, say, a two-on-two, it's very, uh, much less forgiving. Every single mistake costs you dearly. And the mistakes compound themselves. Mm. Right? So you make one mistake, it's more likely you make another mistake. If you make that mistake, it's more likely you make another mistake. Mm. And literally, you just get snowballed after that. Mm. Um, and so for me, when I think about how... I was working those things. It was really analyzing every single move. Okay. So when I right-click on a particular position, I'm moving to that position, I'm already analyzing what are all the, op- the, the possibilities <laughs> of moving to this decision. What is the likely outcome, right? Mm. Uh, I'm measuring the attack range of my hero versus his attack range. So I knew in specific numbers, 575 versus 625. Mm. And by moving to this position, it's out of range, but but it's good enough for me to get an attack. So it's just measuring all these things in real time. Right, in a very precise way. In a very precise ways. Um, and it's just constantly happening. And you think about the pace of games very, very quickly. Yeah. Literally, you're probably, you're, I'm probably making like 20 decisions every second. Like, okay, maybe not every second, but every couple of seconds, you're making multiple decisions, right? And, and the one thing that gamers used to, to judge skill was um, what's something they call actions per minute. Actions per minute. Right, right? APM. Okay. Yeah. You talk to yeah. a good gamer, they'll tell you actions per minute. Yeah, right. APM. Right. Yeah. And so uh, my APM is kind of like on the mid-higher side. Uh, uh-huh. It's about 200 APM. Uh, so it's about 200 actions per minute. So it roughly works out to be about, what, seven, six seconds, six actions per second? No, four, four actions per second. Yeah? Right, so is that right. measured by like how many clicks and like buttons clicks, you press? Clicks, button presses. Yeah, everything. So right. every second you're... Right, So basically when you think about that kind of environment, you're constantly just analyzing, figuring out, thinking, you know, and it's macro and micro. You're thinking at a micro level, what's going on? You're thinking at a macro level, what's my next item? What I'm going to buy next? What do I need to do next to support the team? What, what stage of the game we're at? So there's so much that goes on into the game. Right. And we think about translating that and kind of like uh, moving that into, into problem solving as well. Yeah. It's pretty similar. What's the tech range of the you know the issue here. What's the what are all the what's the what is the context, the environment mm. that we are in? Uh, if I make this move, what's going to happen next? Da, 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 da. Very, very, very similar. Mm. And so, oftentimes, beyond overanalyzing, overthinking, and over optimizing, you know, they will also say, "Why how your mind moves? You're thinking so quickly, mouse like racing at you know mouse ahead of everyone." Mm. I just can't help it, right? Because that's the way I've been. Trained. Trained, right. <laughs> Literally yeah. trained, by the way. I mean, like, back then, my coach would be like, you know, why don't you miss this move again? I slap you, huh? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> kind of brutality, right? Uh, you had a coach. 
Do we winning tournaments? <laughs> we don't win without getting coached. Um, but that, but you, you can imagine, right? That kind of environment. Yeah. And then imagine that transpose onto day to day problem solving. Mm. For most people, that's scary, huh? Mm. Most people, for you to do that to them, mm. to do that to the situation, mm. it's like intense. Yes. It's really intense. It is really intense. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so yeah. So if you're you look a bit scared, uh, yeah. Uh, like, I, I, you know, um, <laughs> as a gamer, actually, uh, you no, know, like, like I said, I played StarCraft before, and the oh, reason yeah, okay, I stopped, know. the reason I stopped playing StarCraft was because uh, I actually love strategic games, uh, but I'm better at the turn-based ones, right? Because you have a bit more. So, so the way I approach a problem may be like I spend a bit longer time like thinking about how to solve it. Right? Right. Whereas I, I, what I found when I was playing StarCraft in the past was uh, one of the key ways to win is for you to be able to start very well, start very quickly. Like you can see people like pressing buttons oh, yeah, and really yeah. fast Starcraft, and you don't Starcraft, even know what's like going at on. At least 200, but up to 400 APM. That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and then you can see different people like, especially in the beginning, there's not, you don't need a lot of thinking as beginning. Like yeah. you're, you're just kind of setting up very correct, fast. Correct, correct. And it's all just like a routine thing. Yeah. So it's just about who's trained to like execute, execute faster. faster. <laughs> you know? and, and I didn't enjoy that part, mm. right? Um, but that's probably like 60% of the game. Right, yeah. right. And then as, as the game develops... Oh, it's, it's, more like a, it's more like a baseline, right? Yeah. So if you can't do that well, yeah. no matter how strong your strategy is, yeah. it's hard you, to... Yeah, to, that's yeah. right. Because like, they'll, they'll probably swarm you with the uh, correct, correct, and all that. Yeah, yeah. So that was my experience. Like, <laughs> I just couldn't execute fast enough. So I was always like a turn-based strategy person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of our core values in WAP actually is move fast. We have nine. Like, move fast is one. And move fast is also the one that I fail at the most. <laughs> it's, a, it's an open secret. Everyone knows I don't move fast. Right. Uh, um, and uh, oh yeah, so, so that's a great segue since I'm talking about core values. right? So I'll talk about, uh, since I've known you in StoreHub, mm. when you were only four people in the company, Really? That long yes, ago? Yes, yes. That wow. long ago. Four people. And, um, and even then, you had core values mm. when you're four people, which is unusual for a lot of people because when, when you're a small company, most of the time, people don't think about culture. Mm. Like, in a small team, like, the culture is like how we work together. Like, you know me, I know you. That's the culture, right? Yeah. They don't define it. But you defined it really early on. Um, tell, yeah, tell us... Like why? Like what? Like why, why do you like? Why do you place so much emphasis on culture? And what is how? How do you actually describe the culture in Storehub? Yeah. So I, I actually trace this mindset and behavior back to my days in Australia. So when I was in uni, even post uni, um, I, I worked very closely with my my pastor at church mm-hmm. uh, to think about community building. Right. So not just building. Uh, the size of the church, but more like they, they used to run the church in a, in a student accommodation in Melbourne. Mm. And they used to have this community of students that were always you know, there and they were trying to figure out how to support these students better and connect them better. Um, and so a lot of these community building ideas um, and rituals and approaches were actually being worked on way, way, way before Storehub started, right? Okay. And, and so we always talked about these different things and what actually shapes behavior what actually shapes culture um and one of the the early things that we established was that if you're able to create rituals if you're able to establish common language Mm. those two things actually pretty much influences every other part of the of the community Mm. Um, and so essentially when you change language 
you change culture. If you think about today, right, like even modern culture, how much of our modern culture is actually driven by the kind of words we use, right? Oh, yeah. Like, OMG was not a thing 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and effectively, uh, the, the, the clarity there was that change the language, change the culture a bit kind of like the save the, save the chili the save the world kind of like idea. yeah no but but I understand what you mean yeah right yeah. And, and very very true so so when we talk about culture what is it actually well it's simply the set of behaviors and values and, and things that we feel are important to us right literally the word value is valuable right mm. uh, and so when we convert these and codify them in, like, into language into words mm. that's when it gains power uh, words are very powerful Mm. Uh, words shape behavior, words shape culture. And by codifying behaviors, the kind of behaviors you want, the kind of behaviors you see, you like, they therefore gain this power mm. and, and that affects people. Now, <coughs> for us, uh, well, because I've been working out this thinking for the last five years in my previous business, mm. uh, it's not new for me. Mm. Like this process of, okay, let's figure out what everyone feels are important. So I gather everyone in the team and ask them to write down words on a post-it note. What are the words or values or things that you see around the company that happen here mm. um, that you feel are very important to us? And what are the aspirational things? What are the things that you feel are personally very important to you mm. that you think we should consider embodying as a whole company? Mm. So we should went through the exercise where everyone wrote stuff on posting notes, we put them on walls, we gathered them under different words, uh, and they formed the first draft of our core, our core, our core values today. Okay. Uh, I'm a bit of a wordsmith, so I kind of like nav- navigated all those words and mm. adjusted them a little bit so that they all form a little acronym called Thomas. Um, but the reality was that that process was something that I've kind of worked through in my previous company, and it's something that we did similarly in Storehub as well. Okay. Um, and it originated from this core principle that change language change culture right yeah right and, and um, without going to detail about uh, each alphabet in Thomas but <laughs> <laughs> what is Thomas yeah so Thomas is an acronym it stands for trust first humble and hungry obsess over the details uh, make their day uh, authentic uh, actually we're changing authentic to kind of like um, <laughs> be authentic but not an uh, <laughs> <laughs> be authentic but not <laughs> so, right. so, yeah. so I, I, I imagine like someone took that uh, core value too seriously well I mean it can be you know some people like when we talk what's authentic oh, it's about being real and they're like yeah man this is real this is real me man I'm like I'm freaking right like, I'm like yeah 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 no no <laughs> it's not an excuse to be an <laughs> be authentic not an right? authentic not an uh, and finally, S is for serve needs, not just profits. It's a bit of, that was a bit of a tricky one because sometimes right. you know you take away the, the not, then it becomes serve needs, just profits, or yeah. take away the just, it's serve needs, not profits, you yeah. get in trouble. But yeah, that's an important one as well. Yeah, I, I like that though, like authentic, but authentic unless you're what? <laughs> if you're a then don't be authentic. <laughs> be someone else. <laughs> well, yeah, that kind of works too. Kind of works too. Oh, oh, that's good. Um, so. Uh, and and this this kind of uh, Thomas basically mm. drives the culture in 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 Storham, right? And and right. how do you how do you um, how do you make sure that people actually practice it? For example, yeah. So another core part of, of Storham's culture is is the idea of storytelling. Mm. Uh, and so we we're big on storytelling, and, and I've always believed stories are, are powerful ways to transmit culture and mm. transmit behaviors. Uh, it's been the primary mode of how entire civilizations, entire people groups have 
transmitted culture for thousands of years, right? Like if, if you didn't know, by the way, the Torah, which is the, the common book between all the Abrahamic faiths, so the Christians, the Muslims, uh, and the Jews, uh, this, it was actually not written down for thousands of years. It was actually told from generation to generation, verbally, orally. Oh, is that right? For, yeah, yeah, so for many, many years. So they would just tell the stories to their kids and their grandkids and the kids and grandkids would memorize them and they will tell mm-hmm. those stories to their kids and grandkids. And so literally entire civilizations have been you know, powered by stories, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so for us, very similarly, it's, it's, it's really anchoring everything in stories. Uh, so when we share the values, we're anchoring all the values with stories. And when we, uh, and we, one thing that we do at our all hands every single month is that we have this segment called Store Hub Stories or hashtag Store Hub Stories. Mm. And what we do is that we encourage people throughout the month to share stories, whether that's with your customers, with each other, uh, with our suppliers, with our investors, whatever it is, and share them on, on our common, uh, on Store Hub work, on, on Workplace, which oh, is okay. like the, the, you know, like, you know, Facebook Workplace. Yes, like right? a Facebook yeah. Workplace, yeah. And, and basically, we, and then once a month, we'll, we'll take some of the best stories and we'll share them with the whole companies. Hey, this story is worth revisiting. Uh, look, the, the, success, the customer success team gave up a, a, a night shift uh, to, to, so that the support guys can actually go out and, and have a party, mm. right? They didn't have to, but they did it anyway. So therefore, hashtag make their day, mm. right? Mm. <laughs> so, so literally make their day mm. comes out in that context, mm. right? And, and the whole idea of, uh, of being able to connect these stories mm. to values to is values. very important. Right, right. So, so um, and, and you do it repeatedly, right? In order to kind of yeah, make uh, it top of mind. I mean, the reality is that people forget easily. So mm. repetition is the best way to get people to remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know that um, you, you did tell me that you're moving pretty soon to yeah. a place. It's yeah. going to be a lot bigger. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the team is growing. Yeah. Uh, um, so what... What kind of talent actually uh, is important to you right now in StoreHub? Oh dear, we have like a hundred job positions open, I think. Right. Like a stupidly big a amount. A hundred job positions, wow, okay. Are they all based in Malaysia? How no, many of them based so across, in No, across everywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, I would say maybe 40 of them, 30 to 40 outside Malaysia. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to grow to 600 people next year. So that's kind of why. Wow. Um, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> From so, four people to six hundred people, like, it's kind yeah. of scary, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was scary when I, cause I couldn't. I started not be knowing people's names. Uh-huh. It's gonna get even scarier, right? Oh yeah. Um, but I, I think the reality is that with Storehub, we have a, a framework, and we have what we call a people manifesto. Mm. <laughs> Literally, uh, it's an entire like prose poem almost um, that describes what kind of people we have a stop so it will say something like you know our people are players uh, who are uh, you know uh, motivated to grow and and uh, they're competent and whatnot uh, our leaders are coaches right so borrowing from the whole sports yeah. team mindset which was stolen from Netflix yeah. uh, so they do the sports same thing too but we literally codified it into a manifesto when we, when we describe you know uh, cool. no managers we have coaches right uh, and leaders and, and basically describing what does a leader do well first a leader needs to make sure that they give you a, an, uh, a real time feedback on mm. how well how good or how poorly you're doing mm. they need to make sure that they work with you to have a, a shared vision of where you're trying to get to and they make sure that uh, well their commitment is to make sure that you are clear about the steps needed to get there 
right? So these are the three commitments that we are we say look, these our leaders need to have, mm. right? But they also need to be able to do things like you know uh, have a heart to grow people. Mm. They need to uh, be what we call situational leaders, where they are able to adapt their styles of leadership according to the situation. Mm. You know, maybe you need more help, maybe you need less help. Mm. So I think. Um, there's all these things that we've codified up into, mm. into our people manifesto that really mm. describes the kind of environment, whether it's people or leaders that we're trying to work with. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's plenty of stuff here. It, our hiring approach uh, is anchored on, on this framework called CH Cube that we, that we kind of borrowed from the book called The Ideal Team Player. Okay. Uh, and essentially, C stands for competency, so are they competent, just abilities right. and, and skills. And, and there's H for humble, mm. H for hungry, Mm. And H for hip, hip. Oh, okay. Yeah, hip's kind of like so. The original book talked about, <laughs> uh, like you know, works well with the team, but you know the C H two W doesn't really kind of gel. Uh, so yeah, yeah. H cube sounds a bit nicer, right? So we did hip, and hip really is as simple as does this person have enough emotional and all the other intelligences to work in a team in a collaborative fashion as opposed to a disruptive fashion. And I think that sometimes like, you, you do need, it sounds a bit like hip is a kind of word to capture the, the, the thing that is difficult to describe in words. So for example, like in Google, I think they use something like, are you Googly, Googly enough, right, yeah, yeah. right? So it's like they have this list of things, but there's just one thing like, you know it when you see it, yep. you know, that kind yep. of thing, right? Yep. Yeah, so, um, and, and your people manifesto, like um, how... Um, is it read out loud? Like, like where, where is it? How do people know what the People Manifesto is? Yeah, so it's on our careers page. It's on the onboarding guide. It's worked through every single time we do uh, cultivate. Uh, cultivate. So every month I run a new person session mm. where all the new, um, new folks that join StoreHub get a two-hour session with me. And I walk through all the stories of the values, the vision, the mission, the manifesto. Every month? Every single month. Every yeah. single month, nice. Since, the, since, since we, you do us. Oh, really? <laughs> it oh. used to be one-on-one. Okay. <laughs> now it's a bit like one to 40, one to 30. Who, yeah. who joins in? Anyone or just people who just uh, So So in, uh, initially, uh, it was only people who, who are new. Mm. Um, but as of late, because we've, got, we've, we've revised the syllabus Many many times now, um, so so the syllabus. I love how you think like a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, we're always improving, right? Mm. Uh, the way we tell stories in the past can be improved, right? And, and mm. so, so uh, we've invited uh, people who've been in startup for a while as well, who mm. need a bit of a boost, uh, uh, like a bit of a DNA refresh mm. kind of thing. You know, feel free to come along, yeah, that kind of thing. That's a great idea. I I, I um, at Warp like I I do it like. Uh, only on the first day they join, I spend maybe 15, 30 minutes with right. them with a one-on-one. A one-on-one. Uh, one. Wow, yeah, that's uh, pretty one intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, uh, but I can still do it because like, we're not at the same scale as Storehub. Sure. Right? But eventually, I suppose, like, what you do there, like, so you do it once a month. Well, I used to do it one-on-one too. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Until you get to a point where you need to do it in the group. Correct, correct. Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of tiring after a while. Look, yeah. uh, 15 minutes, okay. We do two-hour sessions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, wow. And I, I get really drained. Like, I actually feel exhausted after mm. the two hours because I'm, mm. I'm, I'm really putting in a lot. It's, it's high energy. It's like, yes. it's almost like giving a sermon, man. Literally, like you're up there and you're, you're high energy. You're, you're sharing stories. Yeah. You're going deep. You're engaging. Uh, it's, 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 it's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, yeah, so the... Uh, what's that? I lost my trail of thought for a while. 
for for someone right who is, um, I mean yeah, I mean clearly there's a lot of hiring activity in Storehub now. For someone who's out there currently wondering, right, whether should I start a startup now, my own company, a business, or should I go join one, mm. right, and and you know and and experience that and maybe learn and figure out if I can or want to start my own startup one day. Uh, what kind of advice would you give them to kind of make this decision? Mm. I think what's really important is um, self-awareness here. Mm. Self-awareness of two things. One, what kind of personality are you? What kind of person are you really? Um, you know, uh, is from a... F- would you Do you enjoy feeling down 364 days a year? <laughs> Maybe not that bad. 363. Yeah, yeah sounds about right, Derek. Yeah, sounds yeah, about right. Yeah. That's two times more. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> happy days. Yeah, that's right. I'm twice as happy as you are. You are definitely yeah. twice as happy as I am. Um, no, I'm, but you know, on a serious note, it, it is really a lot about that kind of like, who, who are you? What kind, of, what kind of resilience do you have? Like, what, mm. what kind of, um, you know, uh, capacity do you have to engage with pain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and feeling stupid. And pain, a lot of people can, can deal with. Mm. Feeling stupid? Mm. Hmm. Not, not easy, huh? Mm. Especially for smart people, right? Mm. Yeah, smart people, when they feel stupid, it's horrible. It's horrible, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it shakes your, shakes your ego, confidence. your core, yeah. Yeah, it's good to shake your ego every now and then, yeah. but it shakes your confidence, right? Confidence, your, yeah. 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 And, and there's so much there, right, that people don't, I think, necessarily consider. Mm. Essentially, counter costs, right? What is the cost of starting a business, being mm. an entrepreneur? Mm. And then am I willing to pay that price? So that's kind of like the first piece of advice. Mm. Like, do you know what is the cost and are you willing to pay the price? Are you able to pay that price? Mm. Um, because oftentimes people can get burnt out mm. and I've seen numerous entrepreneurs get burnt out and mm. they take a long time to recover. Mm. They do. It's not easy. Mm. Um, and the second kind of question that I think people often don't ask or don't think about is, have you built enough of a support network, support group mm. to you know, help you get through this journey? Mm. Um, because if you don't, you know, oftentimes this is why you talk about solo versus, you know, solo founders versus founders with multiple co-founders. Yeah. But I don't actually think having just a co-founder is also enough. I actually think a lot of successful entrepreneurs are successful, not just because of the who or the, the, the co-founder they have, mm. but also of the entire support network that they have. So whether it's their wife or their spouse, whether it's their friends, yeah. whether it's the, their colleagues at a different workplace, mm. uh, whether it's uh, their previous bosses, support networks are probably one of the most underrated things in, con- in actually connecting the dots of how people get successful. Mm. I My, agree, yeah. Yeah. But no one talks about that, right? Sure, I mean, you, you have startup communities, but yeah. you know, really, how much of a support are they? That's right. Um, you know, support networks are, are probably one of the most important things to build if you're starting out mm. um, as a young person. Mm. If you're, why do you get into your first job? Mm. Right? Why do you go work for someone else? <laughs> because if you say, for example, if you work for a, another startup and the founders been doing it for a while, whatever it is. Essentially, if you do well in that environment, you build a strong relationship with that founder, 
their network almost becomes lent to you if you end up going and do something else, right? There is that connectivity, that relationship that kind of organically transfers to you. Mm. Um, and that's really, really, really important. Because yeah. you would go to this guy for help one day yeah. and he will be like, sends out a message and boom, help just comes, yeah. right? But if you don't have even that connection, mm. where do you go to? So oftentimes I see a lot of founders or potential founders, you know, they post messages up on these Facebook startup groups. But really like, for the serious entrepreneurs, would they really bother to lend their time here? Yeah. yeah. I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. That's right. right? Why, why should I bother? I don't know what kind of person you are. Yeah. What are you going to do? If I, if, I, if I connect you with this significant, influential person that I know, yeah. and you f*** the meeting. That's right, yeah. Like, dude, that's my reputation online. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, so I think these are often the things that people don't think about when, when they're thinking, should I go start a business? Yeah. And then real relationships are... Hmm. They're, they're not easy. Like some people, I, 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 I kind of relate to this quite a lot. I, I got a bit lucky in the sense of when um, I first started Walk, I had no networks. I literally did not know what I was doing. Sure. And, um, and when I chose to start it, by some, I will use the word luck here a little bit, um, but use it loosely in the sense where when I first started it, when I met a lot of people, and you were one of the first people I met when I first started Walk. Mm-hmm. And I could feel that you know, like it clicked, like, ah, you know, I like this guy, you know, I like talking to him, he's a good person, and, and, and when I ask you a question, for some reason, like, you were very willing to help me if I have a question. Yeah, so let me interject here, let me give you yeah. the, the, what that some reason is, because it's kind of related to this yeah. advice portion. Mm. You probably spent years of your life honing a trustworthy demeanor, character, personality, as a recruiter in your previous job, that was essential skills. Mm. Yeah? So if you, if you talk about, say, a fresh graduate mm. who's not necessarily spent the time, the years, honing, refining these character traits, mm. they will not, even if they're given the same opportunities as you were given to meet mm. the same people that you were, mm. that you met, they may not have, the, they have connected in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So even though you connected with people, mm. um, it wasn't random. It was because you were able to convey a certain kind of humility, a certain kind of earnestness to learn, willingness to learn, willingness to engage, a certain kind of level of depth of conversation mm. that people were willing to engage and build those relationships with you. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's some reason is that unknown actually. Yeah, that, oh, that's good to hear. I finally found out why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you knew, just very humble. <laughs> no, no, but, but this is a real question because when I, when I first started, right, when people ask me for, for advice, I say, oh, I got a lot of help and I tell people, you know, if when you start, you, there's a very helpful community, just ask for help, reach out for help. No, and, no. and I find a lot of people say, yeah, I did, but no one's helping me. No, but because you ask in an entitled way, yeah, yeah. you're not going to get help either, right? If you're like, hey guys, come on, I'm a young entrepreneur, all you old farts don't want to help me out, what's going on with you? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's not, you're not going to get help that way too, right? So yeah, it's, yeah. You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying these people are, are, mm. are doing that, yeah. at least the ones that talk to you, but I'm just saying that there's a big difference. Yes, yes. And, and I think like one, one of the things I tell people a lot is like, be someone that other people want to see succeed. Mm. Right, like, mm. like, 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 be that person. Yeah, and then that's somehow, really good advice. Yeah, right. And then, I and steal then, that from you. Yeah, because you know, <laughs> I have thought of it. Like, why, why, why am I so lucky to kind of meet people? And for some reason, if I ask them for help, they'll help. Right, and I think it must be because, well, to some level, they probably want to see me and what succeed. Actually, you know, I have been asked this before. Like, people ask me, "What's my superpower?" 
Yeah. And I'm like, for some reason, I have people around me who just want to see me succeed. I've said this before. Like, I'm able to, like, I'm able to win people over, mm. not in just the, you know, come join me kind of thing, mm. but they genuinely want to trust me, help me, su- yeah. help me succeed. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like your general demeanor, right? Like just kind yes. of who you are. It kind of pulls people in a yeah. bit. Yeah, I I think that's 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 pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, good to share that with you. Good. Like, oh, <laughs> like, someone said that oh, it's because I'm humble and earnest. Okay, I have a humble face. Uh, no, it's nothing to do with your face, dude. <laughs> Uh, awesome. So for uh, for those of you are listening, if you're, if you're wondering um, where you can actually look at this, uh, you know, the kind of people that Wai Hong and Storehub are actually hiring right now, uh, we'll kind of put a link to Storehub's career page in like the notes. It's pretty much just careers.storehub.com. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, good. So, and but we'll put notes too in case mm-hmm. like you don't I, know my, how to spell careers. Or yeah. are you, my pronunciation not very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So I'm gonna we are we're going to like a quick fire question round now. Oh dear. Uh it's gonna be fast. Uh we're gonna ask some interesting questions. Yep. So uh first question. What scene Wait, how, how much time do I have to answer these questions? Well, um I say quick fire, but well you you know, you play Warcraft Starcraft. Oh. You, answer, you answer it pretty <laughs> You probably answer it before I finish the question. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what scene from a movie or TV show? is super memorable to you and has left a lasting life lesson. So I didn't ask books, I asked like movies and TV because I find that a lot of things people learn sometimes is just from like watching stuff, entertainment. Oh dear. Um, it can be a scene or it can be an entire movie, like left like a really, uh, or TV show that was yeah. like memorable and kind of left you some kind of lasting life set, uh, lesson. That's a tough question. It's tough? Is it because you don't watch a lot of TV? I do watch a lot of TV. You do watch a lot, do of, TV. Watch a lot of TV. Um, maybe that's the problem is you watch too much too TV. Much TV. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't really... Well, I mean... I, okay, so I, I, I'm not sure if this is the right way to answer the question, but I, I do have a very fond... Uh, I, I am very fond of TV shows that have like this evil genius weird character. Like, you know, House... Or mm. uh, there's a bunch of shows I can't remember right now at the top of my head, but you know that kind of like one guy who is like really weird and really off and yeah, people like they they, they 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 kind of don't like him, but at the same time they like right, him. Right, right, right. So kind of relatable. <laughs> <laughs> you relate to someone like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm like yeah, that's my hero. Go so you, you model after. I mean, I mean Gregory House. If you ever watch the series, he is as some, rebellious yeah. as they come. Yes, yes. He is as rebellious as... I mean, he's like, you know, every single rule in the book, rules are meant to be broken kind of guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I think in, in a certain kind of rebellious kind of like, yeah, we're all part of that club way, I do enjoy. If, I, if you want me to name one, it would be that, but there's a bunch of other shows that right, right. So, so from, from the very few episodes I've seen of House, well, uh, it sounds a bit like, yeah, like it's, he's a rebellious guy. Mm. He seems like a... Like an asshole, a bit of a bad guy, but actually he's, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I mean, at the end of the day, right? What's important, being nice or saving lives? Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. What, that's his philosophy, right? Of course, yeah. you know, we argue that you need a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, be authentic unless you're an... Right. Be authentic, not an... <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's probably what I struggle with, right? <laughs> was that meant 
for you, like to remind. Yeah, you remind yourself, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of our core values, seven star service, is for me. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to do seven star service okay. to our clients. Uh, is there is a uh, next question? Uh, is there a non-fiction book, non-fiction book that you've read uh, that you believe everyone should read? Oh wow, yeah. Um, f- top of mind is a book called. Oh shucks. My brain is not... F- I just came off a 28-hour flight, by the way. Oh, it's my God. Like okay. A 20-hour transit thing. Right. Um, uh, I'll give you some time. <laughs> oh, dear. What's it called? Good. A Whole New Mind. A Whole New... Sounds so familiar. Dan, Dan Pink. Pink, is it? Right, yeah, yeah. Have yeah, you read yeah. it? Uh, I've seen the book. I've not read it's, it. It's not one of his popular ones. Yeah. It's one of his older ones. Yeah. Um, it's really random because I read this book in 2000. And 12 or 13, I think 2012, um, when I first moved to Shanghai mm. to study Mandarin, mm. uh, it was on the shelf. It was one of the few, of, probably the only English book on the shelf mm. of a random bookstore in Shanghai. Mm. And dude, there are no English books on the shelves of bookstores in Shanghai. Right? It's like one shelf. Okay. Right? Uh, and <laughs> that book was on the shelf. And about now, I was like, hey, this is interesting. Well, since it's a picture of a brain. <clears throat> and it's actually the book talks about how that dominance of careers and, and work has been very much by uh, left-brained people for mm. a long time. So like, you know, the logic, the logicians, the scientists, the, mm. um, the accountants, the guys were very logic-driven. Mm. And then the right brain, you know, it's like the artists, the architects, the, you know, the other more creative the type creative people, people yeah. um, have not really. Mm. Um, but he's not arguing that the world for the future is going to be right brain versus left brain. It's actually the people who have figured out how to create pathways in between. Right. So you need both. Not so much both. But kind of yes, both, right? Yeah, you're right. Yes, both. But the emphasis is less about using right brain as equally as much as the left brain. It's mm. creating a pathway so that in every aspect of your life, you're able to transfer skills and adapt skills or lessons or principles or learnings across different things. Mm. So for example, we talked about gaming, right? And mm. how my obsession behind be- becoming an incredibly good mid-Dota player mm. translates into skills mm. for problem solving in general. Mm. I re- I've come to realize not I think many gamers can't do that. Mm. They can't translate skills they've learned in a game mm. into real life. Mm. And I'm like, why? Why can't you do it? You should, you should be able to do it, right? And, and I realized when I was reading this book that only the people who have worked on building these highways can do that easily and seamlessly. Yeah, yeah. And these highways are built by doing things that you otherwise wouldn't do. So yeah. if you are very left brain, you go and do art lessons and yeah. do painting and do learn to sing and, and whatnot. And I think for me, the funny thing about my life is that because of all the different types of experiences I have, I mean, I, I, I used to sing in a band and then if I was the lead singer of the band in, in church obviously so not very high standard but um, no they sing pretty well no, no. <laughs> depends on the size of the church okay. uh, how many lights there are um, and, and, and you know and I've done all these other things and so because of the variety of experiences I've, I've got mm. I, I believe circumstantially and not intentionally just mm. those those um, highways have been built between the left and right brain so very natural, very easy for me to take one thing and translate it into another and whatnot. Mm. But I realized that this is not the way the world works. Mm. Um, but Dan Pink argues that the future belongs to people who have done this, who are able to build these highways mm. between the left and right brain and are able to translate. Because you think about the, how 
like memorizing things. Oh, that used to be so cool, right? Tony Buzan, mm-hmm. amazing memory thing. Who cares about whether you can memorize anything these days, right? That's like right. I just Google everything and it's yeah, there. Yeah, we have a computer in your pocket now, right? Yeah. I mean, why do you need to memorize anything, yeah. right? Yeah. You take notes, it's there. Yeah. Um, so the, the skill memorizing thing has just disappeared, right? And what is becoming a valuable skill is people being able to just really take and create meaning and derive meaning yeah. out of different things and, and take something that's a principle here and apply it there. Yeah. Art science, they're all kind of like amalgamated already. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's what he asserts, which I, which I completely agree. No, I, I, yeah. I, I can relate to that a bit. Like, in, you know, like for example, you're into computers and programming at a young age, yeah. and, but also you actually had an arts degree yeah, they are degree, yeah. Right? And, and that, the two worlds are actually very important, right? Uh, so, like, a lot of people say that I, I am quite a, a logician in some sense. Mm-hmm. I, I have a very logical way. But I have such a fascination for, like, the arts. Yeah. Like, yeah you know, like, I, I, like for example, I, I watch, uh, look at, like, drama and, like, acting. Mm, and, like, yeah, right, right. I study music. Oh, like, drama is the best, by the way. Yeah. I love drama. Yeah, you learn, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did drama in, in Trinity College and I think that was my favourite subject of all time okay yeah. maybe that kind of split things oh, absolutely yeah. doing mimes and all right. that. okay yeah. nice it was the only subject I got full marks in <laughs> everything else not really <laughs> <laughs> well you made it <laughs> well we'll see <laughs> okay so next question <coughs> what's the best piece of career advice you've ever received from a mentor or someone that you respected ooh well, this is tough. Um, <laughs> mine's a bit boring. I know a lot of people have good ones here. But my previous business partner, he always talked to me about automa- automating things and, and really thinking in terms of systems. Right. So he's always saying, can this be automated? Mm. Can this be automated? Everything, literally everything. He'll say, can this be automated? Can this be done without us humans <laughs> like, because he's such a like tech guy, mm. and I realized that that was so powerful because it's true. Like, you know, why do we always think that we should hire more people, hire more mm. things to, to kind of fix problems? Because mm. um, they might not actually be the solution, right? So mm. when we think about automation, uh, that was probably really pivotal in, in really building scaling scale businesses mm. on uh, small budgets, right? Right, because uh, you can't hire a lot of people if you have small budgets, right? Yeah. But how do you build a, a big business? How do you build a scaling a scale business? Mm. You figure out how to automate mm. a lot of things, mm. right? So that's probably the biggest, most powerful, albeit boring advice mm. that I got. Mm. Yeah. No, that's that's good advice. I mean, everyone's <coughs> talking about automation now, but you no, probably talked about this like ten years ago. So right, there like, you right? This is what's hard. Us hard days. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, we were, yeah, we were a small team. But. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Next question: What object have you purchased in the last twelve months uh, that cost less than a thousand ringgit um, that you found tremendous positive impact <coughs> on your life or your business? I'm sorry. What object? What object have you purchased in the last twelve does, months? Does paying on an installment count? Uh, <laughs> well, the entire thing must cost less than a thousand. But don't say your iPhone. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say my iPhone. It's like the best thing ever. Um, uh, that's why I said less than a thousand. Yeah, everyone's gonna say your phone. I know. Um, I really don't buy things, uh, very much. But ah, uh, I can't say my iPhone, but I can say my iPhone holder in the car. 
Okay, I'll let you have that one. Wait, dude, it's life changing. I even wrote an entire Instagram story post about it about how I think like, I've seen that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> look, think about it. Think about it. every single day. Uh-huh. I get into my car. I open my exit, my, 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 my old holder, right? I open it with my hands, I, I fiddle around with it, uh-huh. put my phone in, I go, and I, I squash my phone in. Uh-huh. Every time I get out of the car, I like, you know, like, I kind of like, I have to unlock it, press the button in the bank, and take yeah. out, and then unplug the cable. Yeah. Like, I plug in cable. Dude, that's an entire 50 seconds wasted in my life every single day. At least. Right. I love to save those 50 seconds. Absolutely. 50 yeah. seconds multiplied by 100 is, you know, 5,000 seconds yeah. multiplied is 3.5. That's yeah. like, you know, that's, dude, yeah. that's a lot of seconds in a year. Yeah. Give that 10 years and dude, you're freaking like, what I could know. you do with 15,000 yeah. seconds? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not even saying that. I mean, we couldn't even do this podcast in 15,000 yeah, seconds. That's right. Like, like that car phone, phone holder gave you enough time to do this podcast. It is it, life-changing. Life-changing. Awesome. What, 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 what is, can you describe this folder? Yeah, so I'm it's, so, so it's curious now. Instead of like, okay, you know, normally you take a phone, you plug your cable in and then you put it on the charger and then uh-huh. you like, you like crap, crap, yeah, clamp it, right? Yeah, that's the one I use. Right, right. Yeah. Now I take my phone, I move it near the, ch- the, 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 the charger thingy, uh-huh. it opens automatically. It opens? It opens. I put it in, you drop it and it goes, it closes, done. And it's wireless charging, right? So it's like, Shit. and then Bluetooth your, uh, with your with your car, boom! It's like boom, done, right? Where do I find this? Uh, so uh, the one I, the one I got is uh, from Xiaomi. So you can you can go online and oh, Lazada is it? Do they sell? Yeah, you online, can go to Lazada yeah. and you can buy it. Yeah. Oh, um, how much does it cost? One hundred and fifty bucks, I think. Oh, I'm buying it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so awesome! Yeah, right. yeah. yeah life yeah. changing, dude. Life, life changing. changing. Oh yeah, no. I, I just just that, that automatic part is so right. Cool. It's like, it has this cool sound. It's like, right. So it's very futuristic. Oh, God. Okay. Anyway, you can check my out my uh, check out my video. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm buying it without watching the video. <laughs> uh, okay. Next question. What is an unusual habit that you've had, um, uh, but you refuse to change? Unusual habit in the sense that maybe people find it a bit annoying or just a bit weird, but you like it or like you. you it's an over optimizing count. Well, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's that's go with that. Let's go with that. Okay, good. Uh, if you want, if you next question. So, if you could make a video go viral, right, online, mm. <laughs> um, and that video carried a message that's important to you, what oh, message wow. would you want to be on that video? Oh wow! Wow, that's a tough one. Um, Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Mm. Nice. That's a tough one. Love your neighbor. Mm. You want me to elaborate on that? What does, what does your neighbor mean to you? Literally your physical proximity as well as your connected proximity. So, you know, people that you live around. Um, I, I do, I, I have a very strong opinion around how your place matters. Right. Uh, it's why we pour so much effort into our new office, new mm. building. Mm. Um, and if we all just simply learn to care for the people around us, the people within our sphere of influence, literally caring for, for these people, um, I, I, caring for not just the people but the place. Because mm. if you care for people, you care about the place, right? You don't throw things around in your neighborhood. Right? When we think about neighborhood, like, you know, if, if someone's littering, right, they don't litter in their neighborhood. They don't litter in their house. Where do they litter? They litter somewhere else, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but, and so the idea of caring for place, how 
I, I feel like the most caring people have a bigger kind of place, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, meaning, what do you consider as your neighborhood? Maybe some of you might say, Tamantun. Uh, yeah. right? Someone else might say, KL. Mm. The whole KL is my neighborhood. Mm. Another person might say, Malaysia mm. or Southeast Asia. Mm. Someone with a big heart will say, maybe the world, right? Mm. Uh, so I think, I think there is a very strong kind of power behind caring for place, caring for people. Mm. Uh, and if we know how to do that better, uh, mm. I genuinely think it's, it changes the world. Nice, that's really deep. <laughs> A lot deeper than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> and probably me too, actually. <laughs> A lot deeper than I expected. Mm. <clears throat> we have two more questions. Yep. Second last one. So, what's the skill that you have, uh, which other people might find surprising, um, but it's been very useful to you in your career? What kind of skill do you have that other people might find surprising, right? but it's been really useful to you? Oh, maybe not just career in your life, right? Oh, skill, skill, yeah. Ooh. Like, like when, when someone looks at you, they wouldn't think that you know how to do this. For example, huh? Really? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I like to say gaming, but it's uh... a. <laughs> oh, you, you have gamer <coughs> written all over your face. No, I was oh, you disqualifying <laughs> the answer. Why? <laughs> no one sees me and sees gamer. Oh, that's true. that's true. I'm only I mean, saying that because I know you and we just talked about gaming. Exactly, right? Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. You know, honestly, though, like, um, I, I would turn up to different things mm. and I'll be... Okay, no, okay, maybe let's not talk about computer games, right? Okay. But games in general, mm. I'm like exceedingly competitive on multiple fronts of, of different games, right? Just mm. games in general. I love, like, destroying people at games. <laughs> That's where that oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> entrepreneurship <laughs> strength energy comes. We're talking from. about useful skills here, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> destroying people is a useful skill. Yeah, depends I'm, on who the person is. I mean, just just yeah. as I was talking about loving your neighbor yeah. and everything, yeah. right? <laughs> Maybe they're not your neighbor. That's why. Yeah, yeah. they're segregated for a moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, if I think deeply about it, um, everything has for me. Okay, so. Asking good questions and really listening. Mm. They th- most people think I'm a, a talker. Most people think I, um, I, I'm loud and I, and I, have, I talk and mm. extroverted and mm. all that. So, so if you were to say this is what's not seen, is, is, well, I, actually, if you put me down with someone that needs really solid listening... Mm. I'm that person that can do it really well mm. and ask good questions. I, I do find that asking questions ha- it kind of stems from, from being a really good listener and, mm. and I wish you know, you, you've done very well. <laughs> uh, and listening internally is it's also about being able to remember yep. and, and not just remember but dissect and, and kind of and, like... And like process it process and really understand it. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, not, it's, not, it's not often. Uh, mm. So people tend to, to not see that. They don't necessarily see that in me but mm. it's definitely there. Mm. Yeah. Okay, it's good. So this is the last question. What does the word success mean to you? Because mm. it's such a broad term, right? Like, what does it mean to you? Wow. Um, I think when we talk about success today, it, it's actually not too um, complex, right? It really is something 
as simple as what vision of what you like what is a, your vision of life of a project or of a company and are you there yet right? mm. essentially that, that's how I think about it and for me <coughs> it's kind of similar in that way like I, I feel like my for me uh, there's really two parts of life really it's it's family and, and the work that you do mm. um, and when it comes to well sometimes the two intermingle uh, in good and bad ways but uh, and it comes for me I feel like uh Raising kids is something that I is non-negotiable part of my life success. I think mm. raising good kids is is definitely a big part of what I envision a successful life would look like for me. Okay. Um, Which also means starting a family is important to you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just going through. I was just analyzing all the different ways <laughs> oh, you could start. You could, raise a, you could start. A, you could raise kids without starting a family. <laughs> Maybe it's not your kid. But then I, then, yeah, right, right, right. But then I realized even adopting is kind of like, yeah, anyways. Yeah. But okay. uh, the moment, yeah, yeah. So starting a family, right? Right. right. <laughs> um, and I guess for work, you know, I, I, uh, I think size matters somewhat for me, uh, in the sense that. Um, I feel like I've been given a lot in my yeah. life. Yeah. I, I've been given, I've been really a lot of things that I, I I don't deserve that I've been given, whether that's relationships, whether that's connections, whether that's money, whether that's skills, whether that's um, just being born in this kind of time and age and into a good family. Um, and I feel like the more you've been given, kind of like the whole Spider-Man thing, right? The, the more power you have, uh, the greater your power. Is it was the responsibility, responsibility yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, and the reality is that I feel like with all that I've been given and all that I've been able to build over the years, it is really important for me to take it to as far as I can go. Mm. Um, and so success for me is really doing meaningful work in a big way. Um, in fact, one of the earliest prophecies, words that were spoken to me by uh, one of my, my, my leaders back in the, in the day was that he, she, he said he saw me in this vision, right? Where I was like carrying a little basket of small puny grapes. Um, mm. or no, no, there were no grapes in the basket. It was just an empty basket, like a shopping basket, right? Mm. I was carrying around and I was in this vineyard and the vineyard was filled with these massive grapes. Like they were like the size of bowling balls, right? And he said, look, Wai Hong, the ex- your ex- your, that, that shopping basket that you're carrying, that symbolizes your expectation of what life is about for you. And really, God wants you to push out a trolley so you can feel your, the grapes mm. that were actually from the vineyards. And so I, I always remembered that as reminding myself to, because we tend to do this to ourselves, and I, I do this all the time to, my, to, to me, um, to lower my expectations or say, oh, everything's luck or whatever. Uh, but I realized there is a very strong correlation between having expectations and the kind of things we end up doing and the kind of things we end up accomplishing, the kind of things we end up achieving. Over my life, I've realized that, that you need, in order to enlarge your work, you need to enlarge your expectations. Mm. And, yeah. That's, that's, that's big. <laughs> <laughs> in order to enlarge your work, you need to enlarge your expectations. Yeah. So expect more. Expect more. I mean, people use the word dream big all the time. Yeah. But a, I do feel there's a difference between dreaming mm. and expecting you need to move from one point to another mm. in order to expect, right? I mean, someone could be dreaming all day about mm. whatever, mm. but they need to be doing the work to be able to expect it. Mm. You could be dreaming about having pizza, but you need to do the work of making, taking me out of the phone, making that phone call 
to expect the pizza to arrive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was such a big concept. I wasn't sure like the pizza example did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah. No, I love it. Like, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, awesome. So, uh, yeah, I think we've come. Uh, I mean, like, thank, thanks so much for coming, man. Like, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yep. I really, really loved it. I think there was <laughs> there's so many really uh, good moments and. Um, uh, and very interesting stuff that we spoke about. Hmm. Uh, I hope, well, I hope StoreHub continues to grow, and you know, it's it's like a shining star in the startup ecosystem for Malaysia right now. Thank uh, you. And and um, you know, when you've reached another level one day, maybe we can do this again. Right? I know we should do it, whether or not we reach whatever levels we go to. Yeah, we should that, definitely have so these good. conversations again. Yeah. Right. All right. Thanks, thanks Derek. Thanks All right. For thanks me. again. All right. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. Cool.